Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. Hey, I'm Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's school fact of the day is that Breathing is all about carbon dioxide, and it has very little to do with oxygen. Air has about 21% oxygen, and the body only needs about 5%. Today's guest spoke at the Bulletproof Conference, and his name is Robert Lee. Robert's a research fellow in law, science, and technology at Stanford, and this is his first time coming on Bulletproof Radio. I invited him to speak at the Bulletproof Conference on this topic that you probably haven't heard of, it's the art of respiratory hacking. It's about breathing for focus and performance. You've heard me talk about breathing exercises and doing things like pranayama or yogic breathing, but what Robert's done is look at the very, very edges of respiration, including things like deep diving. So he's kind of looked at the whole spectrum that you can do for breathing and built around that some practices that can help you focus and perform better. This is an area where there just isn't enough information. So you're going to learn quite a lot about that. Stress in your mind finds its way into your body, and if you can discover how to relax your mind by just hacking your breathing, you can turn off that fight or flight response. That'll clear the fog, you can focus on mental performance. 
So this is not a typical Bulletproof Radio episode because we're just diving deep on that. And Robert is a, a true biohacker and that he's done a lot of this because he's just interested in it. So you're going to learn some cool stuff here. Robert, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you tell us what you're speaking about at the 2014 Bulletproof Biohacking Conference? Well, I'm speaking about how to be mindful and aware of your breathing patterns. And uh, that's for me, based upon my experience as a free diver and a free diving instructor. So tell us, how much control do we have over our breathing? Well, breathing is very interesting in that it's the only physiological function we have that's both autonomic and voluntary, meaning that digestion, for instance, is autonomic. So we don't have to think to digest our food. Uh, whereas, say, doing a bicep curl is purely voluntary. We have to think actively to do it. Breathing is at the intersection of both. So normally we don't have to think about it, but we can easily stop it whenever we want or speed it up. <sighs> so in that sense, it's a very interesting physiological function. So you are a free diver, mm -hmm. or you were. Can you mm -hmm. tell us about that and how that actually made you aware of your breathing? Yeah. Well, free diving is simply the sport of diving on breath hold. So not using scuba equipment, just taking a deep breath and going down. And some people do it competitively, trying to set records for depth, for length of time they hold their breath in the pool. Uh, but I do the sport very much in the mode of somebody who's a scuba diver. In other words, I like to be underwater. I like to look at the coral reef and the marine life. And free diving is just another way of doing that. Oh, and one great advantage of uh, free diving is obviously you don't have as much equipment. Uh, but one really great side benefit is dolphins and other marine mammals actually recognize you almost as one of their own. In other words, another air-breathing creature in the water. So you can imagine scuba divers they find to be a little bit alien, but free divers they actually welcome almost as one of their community. Now, under U.S. law, you're not allowed to approach marine mammals within 100 yards, but if they swim up to you, there's really nothing you can do. So when we're training in Hawaii and teaching classes, oftentimes we have pods of dolphins come in swimming around with us, and they're very playful with us. I've even had baby dolphins, which are incredibly cute because they're about you know, four or five feet long and they're swimming and squeaking and what have you. And it's so quiet that you can hear shrimp crackling on the reef because freedom you're holding your breath. It's utterly quiet. You can hear whales singing in the background if they happen to be nearby. So that's one of the advantages or beauties of the sport. So how, what, at what depth do you need to be in order to have those interactions? Well, you don't necessarily have to be deep. A lot of marine life, including dolphins, come to the surface. So Actually, what I'm saying applies quite a bit to snorkeling. So I think people should spend a lot of time snorkeling when they're in a beautiful place. How long do you typically hold your breath? Uh, well, I don't think there's a typical. Uh, I will, if I'm just casually going on a reef and you know, sort of swimming around and snorkeling, you know, two, three minutes might be a typical time. I can do more. Uh, but I like to emphasize that you know, for a person to say, learn to dive to 15, 20 feet for 45 seconds, is still very useful and can enhance the snorkeling experience. Because if there's something down there, you can go ahead and look at it. So it doesn't have to be an extreme or hardcore sport in that way at all. So in order to hold your breath for that length of time, mm -hmm. there's, I'm sure, preparation you need to do in order to fill your lungs before you actually dive underwater. It's mostly about relaxation, both before the dive and during the dive. Because we all have enough oxygen in our lungs and our bodies for several minutes. We just are not accustomed to doing that. So as long as you relax, because if you don't relax and you're stressed out, obviously you're burning more oxygen. Uh, 
So if you can get the art of relaxing beforehand and relaxing during it, your breath hold can go to several minutes. And as a one application of this I can mention is we teach uh, big wave surfers the art of breath hold because they may be surfing and also get hit by a huge wave and get pushed down and maybe be down for a minute or more and what's more they've been exerting themselves and they may not have gotten a full breath because they got they crashed all of a sudden they're wiped out all of a sudden so in that situation you can imagine the best what you really need to do is learn to relax and when we teach people um, show them that they can do three four five minute breath holds in the pool then mentally it's a lot easier for them to say oh yeah you know it's no big deal i'll just hold my breath for a little while i maybe have a little bit of an urge to breathe but i know there's plenty of oxygen there for, for me to last a while so how much does breathing affect human emotion and cognitive function well it not only affects it in quite a bit it also is a tool for getting information about that in the sense that because it is autonomic you can look at someone's breathing and have a sense of what their emotional state is like but at the same time you can tell them to be mindful of and to change their breathing patterns and then also affect those things heart rate variability is a popular hack amongst bulletproof biohackers what is heart rate variability and how does it affect performance well i have to say i'm not an expert on heart rate variability as nearly as much as some of the people at this conference including some of the, the vendors at this conference but in general my understanding is that it's important for there to be a, a variation in your heart rate over the course of a minute uh, a low heart rate is generally associated with cardiovascular health and so is heart rate variability in other words your heart rate should not be just 60 all the time it should in fact vary So when I do the type of breathing exercises that I do before a free dive and that I'm going to show today at the Bulletproof conference, my heart rate may be around 70 at the inhalation, but as I exhale and the lung comes out the air comes out of my lungs and the pressure in my chest decreases, that heart rate will drop into the 40s. So it'll go from the 40s up to 70 and then back down into the 40s and it will vary like that. How did you discover the art of respiratory hacking? it really comes from my freediving experience now there are obviously lots of very ancient arts that focus on breathing such as pranayama which literally means something like breath study or life force study or practice and qigong kundalini and there's certainly a huge amount to be learned in those um freediving is a kind of thing where we try to introduce the people to to the art of breathing in just a few days. So, it's sort of a lot of more practical kind of menu driven do a b c d, but there's no doubt that if you seriously get into freediving a lot of people start studying those more ancient disciplines. You know, sitting here talking about breathing, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm naturally a shallow breather mm-hmm. and it's making me very uncomfortable sitting here talking about breathing mm-hmm. because I'm aware of my breath right now. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about people that are shallow breathers and what that might mean? Mm-hmm. Well, shallow breathing just means you you're not really exchanging your oxygen and your carbon dioxide as much, and it also doesn't give you a chance to one induce that heart rate variability and also do an extended exhale. And I know you're off camera, but maybe we can do this a little bit together, what have you. When I do my talk, when I do talks about this, I say um if there's the quick lesson is that a long relaxed exhalation is really important to mindful breathing. because during that exhale as i said the pressure is going down in your chest uh, your heart rate is dropping and it's easy to sort of zone out and really relax doing that now letting the air out of your lungs you can also control or meter by 
closing your teeth or your lips, pursing your lips and letting the air slowly escape, kind of like closing the neck of a balloon. So an inhale, you, know, you might take a couple seconds to do that. And if I say exhale for a good eight or 10 or 12 seconds, that might be difficult to do unless you do what I just said, which is let it escape slowly through your teeth or your lips. So is that merely an exercise or can you actually train yourself to breathe naturally a different way? It's both. You do it as an exercise and then you tend to be able to invoke it uh, when you need to. So for instance, when you're reacting to a stressful event, I'm sure many of us have heard, take a deep breath, you know, pause and take a deep breath. Uh, I would add to that, take several slow deep breaths. If you're shallow breathing, you can't do what I just said in terms of like taking a nice long exhale to relax. Uh, and in addition, uh, it's a uh, focus on that long exhalation. So several deep, slow breaths with a nice long exhalation where you can, like I said, maybe close your eyes and really just relax and let it out. Because the exhalation doesn't take any positive effort. You can just relax and let it out. We've all heard the term fight or flight. So how does our body and breathing react to a stressful event? Break it down for us. Okay, so imagine a stressful event which in pre-modern times might have been encountering a mountain lion. And in modern times, it might be some coworker yelling at you. Now, in the mountain lion situation, you take off and you run and you discharge that energy that your body's built up. So that's actually a healthy response. When we're in the office or any other sort of modern life situations, you can't physically discharge the stress that's been brought up by that. So what happens when you encounter that stressful situation, your, your, sorry, your sympathetic nervous system is engaged, your heart rate and your respiration rate go up. And one additional observation uh, that I have had about this physiology is that you tend to take a quick inhale, your breath, and hold it for a moment. And I think that literally may be due to the fact that you're trying to stay as quiet as possible. So you saw the mountain lion, you're not sure if it saw you, so keep quiet for a second. And then if it starts charging, you know it's seen you, so then you gotta take off and run. So those are three things that happen when we see, have a stressful event. So what is your recommendation for a mindful mm -hmm. response to a stressful event, whether it be seeing a mountain lion or encountering an angry friend or colleague? Take a deep breath, as they say, or take several slow deep breaths. And like I said, take several slow deep breaths and focus on a nice, long, relaxed exhalation. So much of breathing is involuntary, but what are the actual mechanisms of inhalation? Well, there are uh, several different muscle groups involved in breathing. And the main one is your diaphragm, which is the dome-shaped muscle at the bottom of your lungs, which pull down and pull air into your lungs. And if you watch anybody while they're sleeping, you'll see that that's really the only muscle they're engaging. It's the most efficient muscle to use to breathe. And we should naturally try to focus on that. Uh, when we get more tense, we tend to not to engage that as well and invoke other muscle groups, which we can also use, but the diaphragm is the main one we should focus on and be mindful of. In addition, you have muscles between your ribs called the intercostal muscles, which are literally the ribs you eat if you're having a barbecue. Those are the muscles. And they can expand the rib cage as well, but the amount of air they can move is much smaller. Uh, and finally, uh, you can also expand your rib cage by raising your shoulder blades, which adds just a tiny bit little more air to your breathing. And freedivers actually have a couple more tricks to add even smaller amounts of air, but that's not relevant to sort of mindful breathing practice. Sometimes deep breathing is really uncomfortable. Is optimal inhalation supposed to feel good? Well, I teach maximal inhalation, which is, in other words, taking the biggest possible breath you can, engaging all those muscle groups, your diaphragm, your chest, and your shoulders. 
And that's good for practice just to see how big a breath you can take. Obviously for freedivers where we have that one breath to work with, we want to do that. But that's really just an exercise so that you understand the mechanics of inhalation better. But in general, mindful breathing doesn't go to that super full point. What it does is fully engage the diaphragm to fill up your lungs and then adding your chest, what I would say is about halfway. In other words, slightly more than a normal inhalation. So we've taken a deep breath in, but now let's talk about the exhale. How important is the exhale of a breath? Uh, for mindful breathing, I'd say it's the key. If there's one thing you can take away from this, it's that doing a long exhale, and as I said, metering the amount of air coming out of your lungs through your teeth or your lips will allow you to relax. So even if you ignore everything else, a long exhale should help you relax. So should the length of our inhale and the le length of our exhale actually be similar in time, mm -hmm. or are they different? Well. You know, there's all sorts of different breathing practices, so I'm not going to speak universally. But given what I just said about the long exhalation as a mode of relaxation, and people have different practices and might decide that they only want to do a few breaths with that long exhalation, like I said. But in general, the way uh, we teach it in terms of freediving is that long exhalation. And you, can you do a 10-second inhalation as well? Sure you can, but that's I think one of those arts that's probably learned through one of these ancient practices that takes a while. So in general, we, we teach us a normal inhalation that takes a second or two and then that extended exhale. For you, what is, what is normal breathing for you? Um, you know, interestingly, I'm not as good about mindful breathing as I should be, so you know, I should practice what I preach. Certainly when I'm aware of it, I'll do it. And my exhale will actually extend well beyond that 10 seconds oftentimes. And 10 seconds is not, you know, that precise number is not important. But when I'm really trying to relax, in particular before I die, that exhale for me may be 15, 20, even 30 seconds. So I'm sure you talk about breathing a lot. And some of our listeners right now might be having a similar reaction than I'm having of being really uncomfortable because I'm paying so much attention to my uh -huh. breathing. So when you talk about it, do you mm -hmm. have a similar reaction with mm -hmm. the being very hyper aware of your breathing? Mm -hmm. And are you comfortable with that? Because it is both voluntary and autonomic, obviously it is the kind of thing that induces that kind of awareness. Uh, like I said, I'm certainly not a naturally calm person, you know, grace under pressure, ice water in your veins type of person. So that's why I was attracted to this kind of practice, because it does allow me to do that when I focus. And like I said, I should probably be better about incorporating into everyday life, although I certainly can do it when I'm diving. But maybe right now we can just take a few breaths like that way and see if it carries on for the next several minutes. So we'll skip for the moment the maximal inhalation. I described it a little bit, and you can try that, I don't know. But we'll do what we, I said is the mindful, comfortable inhalation. So go, uh, you'll, first you'll inhale with your diaphragm fully, and then you'll use your chest, and I'll demo it once, and then uh, I'll have you try it. So it's diaphragm and chest, and then I'll exhale. And I feel like you're almost falling asleep during that phase, so I'll, I'll talk you through it, okay? okay? So go ahead and inhale with your diaphragm, Nice and full, using that muscle down there, add in the chest a little bit so it's nice and full but not uncomfortable, and then let it out slowly through teeth, through lips. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And inhale again, inhale with the diaphragm and the chest, and exhale. Two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, and inhale again, diaphragm and chest, and exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, great. Do we feel good about continuing now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. It's interesting. I'm sure a lot of our listeners were doing it with me. And, mm -hmm. and when I started the exhale with the, through my teeth, I felt a little dizzy, and then I felt uh -huh. myself calm down. Mm -hmm. So it was a really wonderful experience, and I, I hope everyone else is feeling that. So how do our lungs age? You know, you're certainly, I'm not an expert on that. Um, I do know that for free divers specifically, What's the great thing about the sport is that your ability diminishes very little with age because it's not weight bearing, you know, you don't have to worry about dealing with heavy weights, water's pretty forgiving. Um, I imagine one day uh, when I'm a lot older, if I'm going diving, I may need friends to help me carry my equipment to the shore and help me get suited up and everything like that. But then once I'm in the water, it's like, you know, imagine like being a baby that has very little muscular development but it's really still easy for them to move in the water. And there are many freedivers, very accomplished freedivers, who are uh, literally senior citizens. Is holding your breath beneficial to your health or harmful? Well, certainly, chronically, it's not a good thing. Just like stress in the short term is a perfectly fine thing. It motivates us. It helps us get things done. If, it, if we're running away from a mountain lion, it's a very good thing. But we don't want to have it become a chronic thing where we have that stress of seeing a mountain lion be our baseline level throughout life. That's what causes problems such as heart, uh, cardiovascular problems and what have you. Uh, breath holding, in, in many ways, would be the same thing. In fact, people talk about apnea or email apnea. I mean, sleep apnea is when you're having trouble breathing while you're sleeping. Some people have even talked about email apnea, where they take a breath and they're typing their email and then they let it out. And that's, I think, an example of chronic stress. But in terms of a training modality, in other words, would doing a five-minute breath hold three times a week be good for training? I think it very much could be. Uh, it certainly creates large oxygen debt and extreme anaerobic stress, of course. Um, it also even more so induces metabolic acidosis, which is the kind of thing that happens whenever you engage in serious aerobic exercise. But freedivers are able to do that even to a greater extreme. In fact, one fact that might interest medical professionals is that we can all learn to voluntarily hold our breath till our oxygen saturation is 50%, around 50%, peripheral oxygen saturation. So if you put on a pulse oximeter, which is a cheap device you can buy at a drugstore, uh, a lot of doctors I tell that think of it as physiologically impossible until you know, I show it to them. And like, like anything else, people can learn to do interesting things. So anecdotally, I've heard one person say that he did nothing but breath holds for a month as exercise, literally nothing but breath holds lying in bed and he lost six pounds. So could it be the new weight loss fad? Perhaps. I'm not sure simply because it's not an easy thing. In other words, the first one or two or even three minutes of a breath hold when you're trained are pretty easy. But that last minute where you're getting the strongest effects does take a lot of focus. I, I know some doctors who think it would be a very interesting training tool and hope to see it get, gather some momentum. But right now, it's more just something that we need to do some studies about. But I can just tell you anecdotally some of the things I've seen. 
So you brought up sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Can some of these exercises, these breathing exercises, actually help? Well, certainly I'm not an expert in sleep apnea, but to the degree that you can improve your breathing mechanics and to the degree that you can become more relaxed and more mindful, I would think it would help. Now, on the, on the other hand, when we're sleeping, we all tend to breathe fairly well. In other words, we, the stress goes down, we breathe with our diaphragm. So sleep apnea may be mostly a result of physiological issues such as a tongue rolling in the back of the um, uh, throat or something like that, which I've heard about that you may not really be able to fix through this sort of thing, but I, I suppose it couldn't hurt to try. What about people that have asthma? Uh, asthma, you know, certainly I can't talk about counterindications. In other words, whether holding your breath for a long time could induce certain issues or, you know, because there's certainly, you can imagine at the end of a long time, you're under extreme stress and you're re breathing really, really hard and that could cause some kind of bronchiospasm or something, for all I know. But the mindful breathing part, where you're inducing re relaxation or what have you, I, I would imagine that would be helpful. Why is holding your breath so uncomfortable? Um, well, there's a few reasons. One is that we're simply not used to it. So uh, in some seminars, I will have people do a simple one-minute breath hold just to see what it's like. And the, the comfort there is not from lack of oxygen because we have plenty of oxygen to last well beyond a minute, and you're barely tapping into your reserves at that point. So the main reason is simply that you are not used to your chest not moving for a full minute. It's just uncomfortable. How many times have you done that in your life? Maybe a handful. Like when you were a kid, you challenged some friends in a breath-holding contest, and you did that a few times in junior high school or what have you. But when's the last time you did it? You know, maybe never. So the initial training there is just getting used to that fact. In fact, when people take freediving seminars, they often ask me, they say, if I'm getting uncomfortable at the end, can I slowly let some air out? And I say, you know, you can do that, but that's kind of a beginner's trick because they're, again, not used to that complete lack of movement. And very quickly, divers stop with that trick because they realize they want to keep the air in and they're just used to that sort of static state. Uh, once you get two minutes into a breath hold, then you'll start to get a stronger urge to breathe. And that also doesn't come from lack of oxygen. It, also, it comes from the increase in carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide waste product in our bodies um, is the proxy, generally, for low oxygen because uh, it was, our carbon dioxide chemoreceptors are much simpler than oxygen uh, chemoreceptors. So they developed evolutionarily first, and most organisms use carbon dioxide as a proxy or an inverse proxy for oxygen. So they're saying, hey, your carbon dioxide is high, meaning your oxygen is probably low. So with the buildup of carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. is, is that a bad thing when you're holding your breath? In the short term, it's not a bad thing. It's a stress, right? And I like to talk about stress in terms of eustress and distress. So running is stress. And in fact, while you're running, you have a higher chance of having a heart attack than while you are sitting on the couch. But nonetheless, we do it because our bodies adapt to that stress well, and it's therefore a eustress. So breath holding uh, in limited form and in the ways we've discussed can be a form of eustress. Can you give us a few real-life scenarios about how we can apply mindful breathing? Oh, sure. So uh, when I'm doing a free dive, typically I will do this type of breathing for up to eight minutes. And in those situations, we're really trying to oxygenate ourselves fully. 
and make sure we're lying totally still. So literally we'll lie in the water still for eight minutes, breathe like this, and then do the dive. Um, so that's a fairly long time. But you can do it for just a few minutes in any kind of situation. Imagine you're playing golf and you're walking up to the putting green and getting ready to putt. Do this as you're walking up to the green and it should put you in a more focused state. Because by and large, when people are anticipating a performance, they get overly amped, overly hyped up about what they're going to do, and that can detract from the performance. So this will help reset that to an appropriate level. And even one or two breaths can help. So for instance, imagine you're playing basketball and you just scored a basket to tie the game and you got fouled. So you might need to take a few deep breaths to blow off some of that carbon dioxide, but then as you're walking to the free throw line, you can take one or two of these breaths and we, maybe we can visualize that right now. So go ahead, close your eyes. Like I said, you just got fouled, you scored the basket to tie it, you have one free throw you're awarded to win the game, and you take a few deep breaths to blow off some of that carbon dioxide. Now inhale and exhale. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and inhale and exhale. The referee bounces you the ball. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You take one more inhale and you shoot the basketball. There you go. That's a scenario in which you can apply that. In addition, you know, mindful breathing as a steady state sort of thing can definitely help focus and flow overall. And I, it's a very important part of flow state. And in fact, Steve Kotler talks about the respiratory component of flow state. Is the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference important to you as a biohacker and to the work you do? Uh, it definitely is in the sense that I'm trying to help people improve their performance and their everyday life through this one modality of breathing. And people here at the conference are attacking that from all different angles. So I hope this is one relatively straightforward, easy tool that people can add to their kids. Well, let's end with what are your top three recommendations for kicking ass at life and being bulletproof? And that doesn't necessarily have to do with breathing? It can do, have to do with anything you want. Okay. Uh, well, one we'll say is the breathing in which we've talked about for the past uh, half hour or so. Uh, the other, I would say, is not caring what people think or not worrying how you'll be judged. Uh, you know, as Steve Jobs famously said, you know, we're all going to die pretty soon anyway, so what does it matter? That's just excuse to just go and uh, carpe diem, as they say. So I don't know if that's two or three, but maybe we'll count that as three. <laughs> Let's count it as three. Okay. <laughs> Robert, thank you so much for being here with yeah. us today. Thank you for having me. If you're looking for a way to know which foods are making you weak, check out the free app called Bulletproof Food Sense. It works by using the phone camera in order to get a measurement of your heart rate, or you can just type in your heart rate if you know what it is from some other monitoring device. You do this before a meal, and you do it after a meal a couple times. And based on changes in your heart rate, the application can help you to identify which foods are causing an immune response in your body. Based on that, you can choose to avoid those foods and you'll find a huge boost in your performance just from not eating the foods that you have sensitivities to. You'll also find that you can lose weight much more easily when you're not eating foods that cause you to feel foggy and inflamed all the time. This app is free. It's called Bulletproof Food Sense and it's available on the iPhone store. You can also take a step further. Check out 
Bulletproof HRV Sense. That stands for Heart Rate Variability Sense. Bulletproof HRV Sense goes a step beyond food sense, and it works with a wireless heart rate monitor that goes around your chest. You wear the heart rate monitor, and it'll talk to your iPhone or your tablet, and it'll show you your stress levels throughout the day. It'll help you know whether you're overtrained, overstressed, or even just help you know which meetings are causing the most stress in your nervous system so you can learn to take control of that stress. This is an awesome app. So number one, Bulletproof Food Sense is free. And number two, Bulletproof HRV Sense is a few dollars and it makes a huge difference in how you manage and control your stress. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.